Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the OSHA 3030. Uh, I am Manish Rath with Keller and Heckman, and I'm grateful to all of you for joining and being a part of the OSHA 3030 community. If this is your first time joining us, uh, I should say that the OSHA 3030 is a 30-minute webinar that we do about every 30 days, and we try and pick recent OSHA developments that uh, that we think are impactful to your workplace. Uh, you can learn more about the OSHA 3030 by dialing into uh, or, or getting on your computer at khlaw.com slash OSHA 3030, and there you'll also find uh, that we've libraried all of our past discussions uh, going back at least over a year and a half. We've been doing this for about two and a half years, and you'll find many of the past discussions, both the audio and the slides, have been libraried on our site at OSHA, at khlaw.com slash OSHA3030. Uh, and we've also stored a good number of them as podcasts so that you can take them with you and you don't have to listen to them on your computer. So with that, welcome. Uh, we're very grateful for your joining. We, uh, My name, as I said before, is Manish Rath. A little bit about me here as well as on our website. And I'll be joined today by my colleague, David Sarvati, whom many of you know. Uh, let me see if I can get back to that slide. Um, and who has been practicing occupational safety and health law for a number of years. Uh, let's talk about the subject that we wanted to talk about today. Today we wanted to talk about OSHA's use of the enterprise-wide abatement based on a single inspection. And that subject, I think, is a subject of great interest because there are a number of employers who, who are dialed in today and that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis in representing them in OSHA contests that don't have just one facility, that have a history of, of OSHA citations. And, uh, and now when you face your next OSHA citation, this will become an issue. So what we're going to talk about uh, to start off with is the Review Commission's role in OSHA enforcement. We're going to talk about uh, the, the generally a summary of um, a recent very critical decision involving central transport uh, that, that deals with OSHA's attempt at a, a, uh, a multi-employer, uh, a multi-establishment abatement order, and that employer, central transport's intention to to uh, try and contest that at an early stage in the contest. And we should talk generally about the factors that lead, that we think could lead OSHA to seek enterprise-wide abatement uh, as a remedy and some practical tips for employers as we always try and finish off uh, practical tips for employers on how to handle inspections and OSHA contests in light of this, uh, what I think is a, a very important enforcement trend in occupational safety and health law. So. With that said, David. Hi, Monish. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Uh, Good to be here today. David, I think it's important to to talk at the at the initial part of this program about OSHA's authority to order abatement in the first place, because one of the things that Central Transport uh, and I think any employer would reasonably question is whether OSHA even has the or authority to order abatement on an enterprise-wide basis based on a single establishment inspection. 
the statute, the act itself, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, does call for the, empowering the secretary to issue a citation. And in that citation, it requires the secretary to include certain things in its citation uh, once it's conducted an inspection or investigation. And I italicize that because that's, to me, a critical threshold question for when the secretary can issue a citation is, is after conducting an inspection or investigation. Right. Once it, I think once the, it, go ahead, David. Well, I was going to say, Monish, I think the, the language in the statute is pretty clear um, and, and often interpreted that uh, the language of the statute requires the secretary to issue a citation if it believes, a, a, if she or he believes a violation exists. The words upon inspection or investigation, um, typically I think we would interpret the word inspection to mean that you're looking at something factually and, and perhaps with regard to a specific time and place. Investigation is, it seems to me, a less precise term and um, arguably, if I'm taking the devil's advocate position here, means that uh, the secretary could issue a notice of, of, of citation um, if it inspects a facility but wouldn't necessarily uh, have to physically uh, visit the site when it investigates, perhaps, say, as a result of a uh, review of the injury and illness records that it solicits and requires uh, submission on, under either a subpoena under its author the uh, authority of the statute or a written request for the documents as provided in the regulations. So uh, the other terms, uh, information on the slide about what the citation needs to be in writing, of course, they come by certified mail. The date that the certified letter is signed for triggers the notice of contest period we'll talk about in a minute. But you can see in the description of the nature of the violation, reference to the rule or violation violated and a reasonable time to debate to abate this uh, violation are typically what's contained in the individual citations and very in in all cases that I'm familiar with the nature of the violation includes a, a description of the specific facts location equipment circumstances under which the violation uh, occurred uh, according to the secretary's investigation so Monish I'm if I'm the devil's advocate, if I'm advocating on, on behalf of the secretary, I'm arguing the term investigation says, oh, boy, I can uh, rely on records and documents that I collect other than in a physical inspection of the work site. What well, do you that's think? Right. I think that's right. That's a fair point that if they use the word inspection or investigation, one has to conclude first that they, that they describe two uh, not perfectly overlapping things. And so you're right, an investigation could be a non-physical uh, element that includes something other than a physical inspection uh, of other facilities other than the facility being physically inspected. I think that's a good point. Uh, right. And, and, and I think that in any event, we would agree that it's a threshold step that the secretary has to take before issuing a citation is that they first have to inspect or do some other non-inspection related aspects of an investigation. Uh, but, but one of the things they're required to do is identify a reasonable time to abate the alleged violation. And that's at least some statutory authority suggesting that OSHA can order an abatement. Uh, whether or not it can order an abatement based on an inspection of one place or an investigation that related to a comp 
complaint about one place and therefore and thereby be authorized to order an abatement uh, that applies to other establishments within the uh, company is a open question that's not resolved in this language here, uh, even though I think, David, you've done a very good job of, of making the case on, on the Secretary's behalf. Uh, so with that said, that, that's the statutory authority, and uh, as you can see, it, it still is an open question that needs to be resolved, and that's where Central Transport comes in when issued with citations. Um, Central Transport is a nationwide organization that runs shipping terminals, uh, loading docks, shipping terminal storage. And uh, an OSHA inspection was conducted at its Bellerica, Massachusetts uh, facility. And amongst many other things, one of the things that OSHA issued a citation for were uh, violations that it alleged under the forklift standard, Section 178. Uh, things like failure to take forklifts out of operation with defects such as faulty horns or lights, tires that they observed were damaged, or batteries that were leaking corrosive acid. So it issued citations for that, and it noted that uh, the, the secretary had noted at that time that it had uh, issued citations against Central Transport uh, at at least 10 other occasions. In fact, two more citations had been issued subsequent to the ins inspection at Bellerica, Massachusetts, and those Central Transport issued a notice of contest for those two additional ones, as well as at Bellerica, uh, resulting in three open, distinct open uh, contests on three distinct uh, inspections, uh, all of which related to, or in part, citations coming out of Section 178 for forklifts that were in operation with these kinds of defects. So, yeah, Monica, yeah. I think it's important to, to be clear about this. They had received repeat violations, which is what you might expect in the current regime, for violations of the forklift standard at different locations. But what OSHA also uh, is alleging and, and uh, had at least some evidence in the record is that they had similar citations at the other 10 terminals in the states that are listed. So the uh, pattern that OSHA appears to have identified is that the company has not been as a, uh, at multiple locations uh, inspecting the forklifts according to their internal standards and then removing from service the ones that don't meet the criteria on the checklist. So, Manish, I think that's a, a important here, the, an underlying factual issue that the administrative law judge in his order or her order uh, uh, highlighted. I think that's right, and I think one of the reasons that's important, David, and you're right to point that out, is that when you come before an ALJ or the review commission and the posture of the case is on a repeat or failure to abate, you will find that the ALJ or the review commission will bend over backwards to try and support the secretary's position. You're coming in with the perception to begin with that this is not a diligent safety and health program, and that's a very difficult position from which to make some of the arguments that Central Transport did, which deal with more ontological questions about the statutory authority of the agency. And so, so it's much better, I think you're right, if you had come in as a first uh, instance of a citation. Some of these 10 other citations dealing exactly with this issue were within the time period for which OSHA was justified in characterizing these 
as a repeat uh, a violation. I think that's a very important point in this dispute. So when they issued this uh, citation in Bill Eric, Massachusetts, they ordered abatement, and they ordered abatements be implemented enterprise-wide at all facilities throughout Central Transport's 170-facility operation. Central Transport opposed this in its notice contest and in its uh, citation contest, and, and their arguments, I think, are very, very important to consider. When Central Transport argued that OSHA doesn't have authority under the Act to require an, a company to abate enterprise-wide, it said, first of all, there's no statutory authority to begin with. OSHA gets its authority from the language we discussed earlier uh, and from the language that says the com uh, the, that the commission doesn't have authority to enter an order uh, unless, that's, unless there is a, a um, inspection and an investigation that's relating to it. Uh, they also, Central Transport also identified Section 2200, which is the section of the code that, that governs the commission itself, and pointed right. out that, that OSHA doesn't have the ability to enter an order, uh, except for instances where OSHA has issued a complaint, and in the complaint has set forth the time, place, and uh, the manner of each violation, the, the alleged description of each violation, and a period of abatement and proposed penalty. So the commission Monish, power flows yeah. from, from that citation. Yeah, Manish, I think it's really important to um, point out here, this uh, this is uh, uh, not a part of the U.S. Code. This is part of the regulations, uh, the Code of Federal Regulations that govern uh, commission procedure. So uh, OSHA... Uh, the Review Commission has set forth rules governing its procedure in 29 U.S. CFR Part 2200, and that's where this provision exists. I don't believe it exists in the statute itself. And uh, But it, it also, the statute does give the commission to order, uh, issue an order uh, directing, quote, all appropriate relief, and that term is very broadly interpreted generally, uh, which is where OSHA is asking for the uh, authority to issue an enterprise-wide order. Manish, I think, you, you know, you're right. We got we, The agency needs to follow the rules here, but in this case, it's uh, clear that the statute uh, has a broader uh, perspective, I suppose, is the way to think about it, on the types of citations than perhaps the Review Commission has in its rules. That's right, and I should read 29 CFR uh, 2200. Uh, so, so the other arguments that Central Transport made were that if we have other facilities where we're, we have open contests, this is a deprivation of due process because we have the right to argue defenses in those contests. And when you issue an enterprise-wide abatement in this contest, you've deprived us of the right to raise those defenses in those contests. I think that's a fairly good uh, argument. Uh, and then they argued that OSHA should uh, not be given this enterprise-wide abatement authority because it allows OSHA to expand an inspection of one facility to inspections of any facility within the company. Uh, and I think that's an important point. Uh, David, I know that we've dealt with enterprise-wide citation contests enterprise-wide abatement orders from OSHA in the past, and I think this is an important point. 
that sometimes when you take an OSHA inspection in one facility, you will notice that the questions that are being raised by the compliance safety and health officer uh, pertain to company-wide practices or other facilities and not to the facility which they had issued a notice of an inspection. Uh, finally, as an alternative, Central Transport argued that, look, if you don't do anything here, we at least need to, uh, in terms of our arguments about uh, OSHA's authority to issue enterprise-wide abatement, we at least need to stay this question, separate it out from most of the case, and stay it while, while those two other cases proceed forward. Well, when the uh, administrative law judge, the ALJ, reviewed all the arguments, it essentially agreed with the secretary and said, as David pointed out, the authority of the review commission to issue appropriate relief should be read as a very broad authority. Their argument for saying this is that there is language that suggests that the review commission is like a district court in its, or should act like a district court, U.S. district court, Article III court, in its ability to review evidence and, uh, and resolve disputes. And based on that, it believes that it should have broad authority to implement any kind of appropriate relief that a district court could, which is fairly broad under Article III. And so that's the logic by which the ALJ implemented its decision in favor of the secretary that if the secretary sought enterprise-wide abatement, that the commission would ha indeed have the power to order it, which is a distinct question, I should point out, than whether the secretary has the right to ask it. David, any other thoughts? Right. Well, I, I think the, the point uh, that the uh, judge made is that uh, she was looking at a record that had not been fully developed, and in talking about the function of the commission, she pointed out that it appeared that Congress intended the commission to function in a similar ma manner as a district court, being the place where things are heard in the first insta instance with uh, evidence being submitted and witnesses heard and that sort of thing. And, of course, that's exactly what occurs at the ALJ level. And then further, at the appellate, appellate level at the commission, the review commission very often acts similarly to a court of appeals by simply either taking the record as it stands that the ALJ completed and looking at briefs that are supplied by the parties or occasionally and in rare instances having oral argument before the commission. And even after that, the, the next step in the appeal process would be for an employer or OSHA to go to a circuit court of appeals to challenge the decision that the, com the commission itself uh, uh, issues. So uh, I think the ALJ uh, characterized that correctly. I'm not sure that uh, necessarily uh, the Supreme Court would agree that the commission has all the characteristics of a district court because they are not Article III judges and their, their function is different. And we saw that in the Martin case back in the early 90s when uh, the Supreme Court ruled that the commission, like other uh, uh, the commission did not have independent authority to interpret OSHA's regulations or the statute uh, to uh, beyond uh, OSHA's interpretation and that in uh, cases where there's a, a difference of opinion between the commission and the Secretary of Labor, uh, the courts are to defer to the Secretary of Labor. So unlike district courts, the commission does have authority to, to rule on these things 
but it's not uh, as an author authoritative a body as a district court would be. Monish? Yeah, that's an excellent point. So so one of the things I think we should say at the outset, we, we need to just try and discover what are the factors that led to uh, a secretary order in the citation for enterprise-wide abatement. And I, and I think it's important in understanding the ALJ decision, David, that this was uh, a very early stage motion to strike, uh, which when you look at the course of litigation is the first volley, it's the first blow by the employer to say let's strike certain parts of OSHA's complaint. Uh, here, let's strike the idea of an enterprise-wide abatement. Uh, had they allowed the evidence to evolve throughout discovery, they may have come to a different outcome, and they may yet. All we have here is a ALJ's order saying that at this initial stage, it's too early to agree with Central Transport that enterprise-wide abatement is per se outside of the scope of the review commission's powers to order. Uh, but it may be that as discovery evolves that that might, might become an eventuality. Uh, so why did the Secretary issue an enterprise-wide abatement? Here, clearly, I think some features stand out. Uh, for one, as David pointed out, the employer had had 10 other citations with orders in place. In other words, they were final, uh, involving Section 178, the same standard, the same kinds of violations. Uh, that, and that in here, in this particular case, the citation was a repeat. Uh, repeats or failure to abate, I think, demonstrate a level of commitment to uh, implementing safety and health regimen that will improve overall safety and health. And here, uh, you have all those features. In addition, when you look across the 12 or 13 different establishments that had been inspected, they all involved some very similar facts uh, relating to the maintenance and the uh, ability to pull forklifts out of service for maintenance issues. Uh, and so the, the similarity or the uh, cohesion of facts across all of these different facilities demonstrated the potential for an enterprise-wide violative practice. David? Yeah, I think the one thing that we need to keep in mind here is that I think the thing Central Transport is most concerned about and what employers would be most concerned about is having OSHA show up at one facility, decide that things must be similar in other facilities, and then order an employer to do the same thing everywhere. But in terms of, of the impact of that decision, Monish, I think we probably have to consider what uh, authorities OSHA currently has and how they go about carrying out their enforcement authority. We all are familiar with the repeat violation, which is basically the same circumstances uh, related to a violation at multiple locations in time where there's an existing uh, final order of the commission establishing the violation. <clears throat> that results in a potential repeat violation, a $70,000 penalty, and so on. I think what OSHA is trying to do here is create a situation where they could go into these other locations, and if they find the same circumstances, issue a much higher failure to abate penalty, which as most of us are aware is a day-by-day -day, uh, penalty that accumulates over time from the date abatement was supposed to be completed until the date of the new violation. And um, I mentioned just a moment ago $70,000 for the repeat violations. 
that's under the, the current standard. We all know that those violations, those penalty amounts are going to go up here under the recently approved uh, Budget Act from last year. But the interesting question about the enforcement aspect of this is how do you make out a failure to abate if you don't have a time and place location for the alleged violation? In other words, if you have a, a broken piece of equipment at location A on a certain date and OSHA shows up again six months later and the piece is still broken or is broken again, we at least relate back to that specific piece of equipment at that location for the failure to abate. But if we have a, a piece of equipment at one location, six months later we go to another location, that and the other equipment may be entirely similar in the type of equipment that it is and, and its operation and function, but at the time of the original citation, it may not have been in violation. And so this whole idea of failure to abate now becomes, instead of a related to a specific set of circumstances and facts at a particular location, may now relate to a set of uh, practices and procedures that an employer in all of its operations are attempting to follow. So, Manish, I think that's one of the, the biggest potential issues that could come down. Uh, I think the second point is that, that employers will raise issues about it have to do with the idea that OSHA could show up at one location, issue a general order for all locations, and then uh, expect compliance at all other locations in the same time frame as the original violation. And for a lot of situations, that's going to be an unreasonable abatement period. Well, I think that's right. And I think that brings us neatly around to what we think employers should do, at least in light of this decision so long as it lasts or so long as it remains in effect. Uh, first of all, I think that clearly when OSHA conducts an investigation, uh, and it, it prepares its in inspection. Uh, it asks questions during the inspection of the employer representative or conducts interviews either with management or with employees uh, that, that the employer needs to be very attentive to lines of inquiry that are designed to try and learn more about the questions that you're describing, David, whether or not this particular practice or policy or uh, an absence of a practice or policy is something that uh, exists as a corporate-wide phenomenon or whether it's a unique feature of that particular establishment. And, you know, you and I, David, have had inspections that we've handled where we've seen the questions and they very slowly migrate from being establishment-specific to going to policies, can I take a look at the policy, and then ask who drafted the policy, does this policy apply to the whole company, Right. These are questions that are designed to try and expand this to an enterprise-wide uh, style of either inspection or an enterprise-wide abatement at the end. Yeah. Uh, so the inspection or the investigation is a very important, critical stage, uh, beyond which OSHA has very few opportunities. I should say after which OSHA has very few opportunities to defend its uh, its establishment-wide abatement order. Right. Manish, I think it's a, this particular aspect is something that needs reemphasis here. The, the first bullet on this slide about it in looking for inquiries for evidence that is different from what the basis for the inspection is. In the case of a, of a 
programmed inspection where OSHA is there because the, the number came up for that employer, then practically anything having to do with safety in that workplace is, is fair game. But if OSHA is there on a complaint or investigating an accident, then they're under the current uh, law of the uh, Constitution having to do with warrants, limits OSHA's investigation to the subject matter of the complaint or the, the uh, accident. And so it's really important for managers and um, uh, employees that are, are responding to an OSHA investigation to keep in mind that the, the wide-ranging questions from the inspector when it's a narrowly focused investigation or inspection need to be uh, uh, considered carefully and um, consult with attorneys, your in-house counsel, your outside counsel, as the case may be, but make sure that your responses correspond to the areas of OSHA's authority in gathering the information. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, when it comes to contesting citations, I, I think it's also incredibly important to, to very carefully evaluate each piece of evidence and identify whether or not it is evidence that, as OSHA will want to assert, it's evidence of a corporate-wide practice or policy. It's important to identify whether the evidence, evidence in fact, describes anything more than uh, an establishment's practice or, or condition. One of the things I've noticed is you can have a corporate-wide policy and a, an establishment's particular safety and health manager or man, operations manager may have deviated from that, and that that omission uh, does not suggest a corporate-wide omission. Uh, so when you're contesting uh, the citation, I think it's really important to carefully examine each piece of evidence individually on this question. Uh, of course, you have to identify other matters. It's best if you've coordinated and the same people are responsible or, or involved in all of the OSHA contests that are happening concurrently. Uh, and to to try and uh, develop your own evidence, it's never too late for the employer to develop its own evidence, even after the inspection is closed, that suggests the inconsistency in practices, whether by written policy, according to written policy or not, or as a matter of omission, uh, the inconsistency between two establishments. Uh, David, I think one of the more important things that you and I were discussing here uh, at point number three is to avoid potential issues in the from the beginning, which comes from taking a single inspection or an order at the end of a contest period and trying to develop lessons learned that can be shared from that facility to counterparts at establishments throughout the company. Uh, and I think that with new managers or new safety and health managers and uh, any kind of turnover, there's always risk that practices sort of deviate and develop their own dialect from safety and health practices can develop their own dialect from facility to facility. And so getting those folks together uh, periodically to go over lessons learned on a corporate-wide basis is a really important exercise. Yeah, Manish, I think one of the things we may want to do in a future OSHA 3030 is talk about how employers can uh, exercise reasonable diligence in managing their safety and health programs so that when this issue comes up of uh, practices that deviate, they're able to show that they have exercised the kind of diligence that is needed to prevent broader allegations of uh, violations by the corporation as a whole. And Manish, with that, I think we're just about out of time. I think that's right, and I think that's a good topic for a future OSHA 3030. There will be a survey at the end, and if any of you agree, you can put that idea down in your survey. Thank you guys all very much for participating 
in this OSHA 3030. Our next one will be, as they always are, on, on a Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the next one will be on March 30th. Again, you can uh, look for more uh, or prior uh, OSHA 3030, the slides and the audio, at our website, khlaw.com slash OSHA 3030. And the other thing I'd say, when you get that invitation for the March 30th program, please forward it on to your colleagues in your Office of General Counsel or companies uh, with whom you, you work uh, with their safety and health professionals or counsel. Uh, also, we have opened up a LinkedIn page specifically for Keller and Heckman's workplace safety and health practice. I encourage you to check that out if you're active on LinkedIn to follow or join uh, that Keller and Heckman workplace safety and health page. It's a great way to catch notices, announcements uh, about OSHA developments as well as our programming. And the other thing I'd say is, as I pointed out before, we are now on podcast for prior uh, OSHA's 3030. You can find them at iTunes, Pod Podcast Addict, or a number of other podcast sources. Thank you very much. On behalf of David Servati and myself, Manish Rath, thank you for being a part of the OSHA 3030. And until next time, uh, I hope you have a safe month.